Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is Innovating Innovation with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to shake up the status quo in your company's future and help your organization move in exciting new directions. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome if you want to run with the Game Changers. Oh, I always promise you're in the right place because it's always true. The buzz today, let's get fresh. What is she talking about? This is Business Radio. Let me explain. Corporations, businesses like yours all over the world, are increasingly seeking to engage entrepreneurs, but not just as entrepreneurs you think of people starting businesses in their garage or in their attic or in a rented office space. We're talking about entrepreneurs from within the organization and outside. Not quite sure what we're talking about? Stick around. How are they going to do this? Well, companies are launching initiatives for something called intrapreneurship. Now, instead of the entre, the French between, E-N-T-R-E, change it to I-N-T-R-A, entrepreneurship. I'll explain that in a few minutes. Innovative Innovation accelerators, very interesting incubators. I think you've heard that word in the business sense. And startup focus programs, something near and dear to us. So while the purpose of these efforts is to create, well, what are companies looking for? Viable, sustainable new business opportunities. That's how they're going to stay alive and survive with global competition and new markets. Markets opening up and competitors coming out of left field every minute of every day. They're also looking for new models of engagement and they're looking to see what's going to work for them. Well, some of these methods of getting new, fresh, viable, sustainable innovation ideas into a company's lifeline or bloodline, some of these have challenges and some of these have opportunities that are different from other opportunities, other methods. We're going to explore, if your company is looking to do this, what will work for you? You, what will be best? I have a panel of three experts who are going to help us figure this out by the end of this hour. I promise you, you'll have a lot of great information. Let me just give you a rundown of who our wonderful panelists are today. We have Hans Balmakers. I'll spell his last name, B-A-L-M-A-E-K-E-R-S. He's a director and co-shaper, I love that word, of the Entrepreneurship Conference. That's a word you're going to want to remember. He is joined by Manju Bansal, VP and Global Head of SAP Startup Focus longtime colleague of mine at SAP. And rounding out the panel is Tanya Arisman, who heads the Global Service Innovation Team at SAP. So let's get started. I'm going to read a little bit about the origin of the quote Hans has sent me for his opening quote. Very interesting quote. It comes from somebody named Brant Cooper, who is a New York Times bestselling author of The Lean Entrepreneur. There again, we're mixing. I'm mixing the entrepreneur and the entrepreneur, and we will explain. Uh, Brant Cooper is the co-founder of a company called, or an organization called, Moves the Needle, which is uh, bringing an entrepreneurial spirit to what he calls survivors. It ignites entrepreneurs action within organizations by educating, enabling, and empowering people to be closer to the customer, move faster, act bolder. Very, very interesting. And he has lean innovation boot camps, accelerator programs, and strategic advising on creating immediate and lasting impact. Very interesting. Here is the quote Hans has selected from Brent Cooper. I quote, an organization's ability to learn and translate insights into action rapidly is the ultimate competitive advantage. Hans Ballmakers, welcome to Game Changers. How are you today, Hans? Uh, hi, Bonnie. Good morning. I'm doing doing great. 
Wonderful. Thank you so much for joining us. I did not know about Brand Cooper. I looked him up and found some very interesting things. He now travels the globe speaking with entrepreneurs and entrepreneurs. So why don't you explain the quote to us, how it applies, but also, Hans, I think we need your definition of entra versus intra when you attach those prefixes to the the root word preneurship. Talk to me, Hans. Yeah, sure. I mean, let me start with the quote because... Um, I believe this quote does reflect the promise of entrepreneurship. Uh, you know, there are other benefits, and we'll probably talk about them later in the show, but, but driving innovation and growth in order to stay in business and maybe even be highly successful at it, I think that's what entrepreneurship is all about. So, um, you know, in a world that is stable and predictable, companies were designed to execute. The leadership set the vision strategy, and the management and the workforce stated the execution. Um, however, in a world that is changing and it's rapidly changing, uh, that organizational design, it does not work anymore, right? So uh, technology development, changing consumer demands, companies have to be more agile, flexible, and nimble. So they have to start from the premise that everything is unknown and that opportunities for growth have to be explored and found and captured. And that is true, I think, for all companies, for all industries. So um, the winners in this new world of business are those that are aware that these rules uh, have fundamentally changed, right? So the rules of the game have changed, and, and the winners will be those that are redesigning their organizations to quickly translate what they're finding out there in these new territories into new value propositions. And you have to do that quickly and continuously. So for me, that's, that's basically what entrepreneurship is. Uh, it refers to the models and the methods and the frameworks, uh, as well as the culture and capabilities you need as an organization to really do that, you know, to experiment and learn and then build new propositions from that. Hans, let me ask you a question, and thank you for that uh, level setting for us. Question is, do all companies get this? And let's look at companies that are very mature, that have been around for a long, long time. Do they understand that new, fresh, innovative, creative, sustainable, that this is what's going to keep them alive? Or are they sticking to, let's just put it uh, colloquially, the catalog of what they've always offered? Is there anybody who is in the dark about this requirement today, Hans? Well, I guess the many are in the dark in in in, in knowing how to do it. But uh, I don't come across companies. But maybe you know I'm biased. But I don't come across companies that that think it's bullshit. And 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 especially those those always companies like GE, they have programs that are exactly focused on on doing what we're talking about. So so the question is often how, and and that's the question. There's no answer to yet. I think no single answer. But the question if or has, should we do this or should we act upon this, I think that's no question at all anymore. Thank you very much. So we have an, uh, our audience, therefore, I would assume is very enlightened and we're going to give them the details on how to do it faster and better and more efficiently. Thank you, Hans. Pleasure to meet you. And now let's bring on my longtime colleague. We haven't been in touch in such a long time and I'm very pleased to welcome him. It's Manju Bansal. And Manju, as I said, is VP and Global Head of SAP Startup Focus. Sidebar to our listeners, we used to have a series called Startup Focus with Game Changers about three years ago. And I'm Hoping Manju will bring it back because we met fascinating new companies, entrepreneurs from all over the world. We got to meet them up close and personal and find out we found out what got them up in the morning and what kept them up all night making their companies happen. It was very exciting. Manju has selected a quote that originated, we believe, with ASOP. Now I'm talking AESOP as in ASOP's fables, and I didn't even know there's something called the 
Aesopica, A-E-S-O-P-I-C-A. It's a collection of fables credited to Aesop. And I didn't know, Manju, he was a slave and a storyteller who was believed, he may be a fable himself, believed to have lived in ancient Greece between 620 and 564 BCE. And his fables are reinterpreted today in different registers and different artistic media, and it's now called a fable as genre. Here is the fable, which also, by the way, has been attributed to Lou Holtz, the former American football player, coach, and analyst. I won't go into his history. The quote, when all is said and done, there is more said than done. Manju, welcome back. How are you? Hey, Bonnie. Good morning. How are you? I'm yeah, you very know, well. A, this, you know, I work in the startup business, and I work with startups literally for a living. And the one thing that, that differentiates those who make it and can create high-impact game-changing, if you will, businesses that are sustainable is the ability to execute. You know, in Silicon Valley, ideas are dime a dozen, but it is the ability to deliver them and take them to market that distinguishes whether a real company gets built or not. And, um, you know, I want to pick up on something that Hans mentioned earlier, that even though companies may realize the criticality of having to innovate, because I think that's fairly obvious these days, the fact is that since the year 2000, you know, 52% of the companies that were on the Fortune 500 list are no longer there. They've either gone bankrupt, acquired, ceased to exist, or simply dropped off the list. And, and so, you know, underscores the criticality of innovation as the driving force for ongoing success. And whether that comes from internally driven entrepreneurship or externally partnered entrepreneurship with classical startup entrepreneurs, I think it's a combination of those that delivers the outcomes that their stakeholders hopefully are looking for. Thank you, Maju. Very interesting. Uh, I know that the rules of the road are very different for entrepreneurs, entrepreneurs, and whether you're sitting outside the corporate structure or infrastructure, if you will, or whether you're inside. Just quickly, from your, your POV working with so many startups and, and people who have that spirit, that, that juice flowing to their brains and that passion in their heart, what we used to call the fire in the belly, Maju, if you remember right. that. Um, right. I, I've read that, that, that entrepreneurs, I think I sent an article around to all of you, entrepreneurs are people who don't have to follow any of the rules that entrepreneurs, no, yes, entrepreneurs, and, and that people in the company, people in the company have rules. You can do this. You can say this. You will come to meetings. You will file your reports. You will do your KPIs. You will talk to your manager. And entrepreneurs, they just put them in a, a glass room or, or a padded cell, if you will, Manju, and they say, okay, start thinking outside the box. Come up with ideas. We need to sustain the company. Is this true that entrepreneurs are given a lot of carte blanche, a lot of privileges, Manju? No. I think it's yes and no. I have a slightly um, biased perspective. Uh, my uh, co- uh, approach is, and I may be in the minority on this one, that I think entrepreneurs are putting themselves on the edge. They've either maxed out the credit cards, they are struggling to raise capital, they've in some cases mortgaged their house, they've done all those things. So failure is not really an option. Mm-hmm. But for an entrepreneur who's internal, you know, he's getting his or her salary check delivered in his bank every two weeks. So he's not really that hungry in the sense to deliver and make that change as much as his external counterpart. To my mind, that makes a humongous difference in what actually gets delivered as an outcome at the end of the day. 
and and you know, I granted this may be my a bit of a distorted worldview, but I think this is what I'm observing in the outside world, and I'm sure Hans has some fantastic perspectives on this. But I just read a Harvard study that's a couple of years old, from 2014, I think, and they said that between 70 to 90 percent, 70 to 90 percent of all corporate intrapreneurship efforts fail, whatever the definition of fail means. So to me, I think the hunger in the belly remains a very critical piece for success. Thank you, Maju. Thanks for picking up on that. And uh, I do appreciate your view. You, you, you work with startups for a living, a very interesting perspective. So let's bring on our third member of the panel. She is Tanya Arisman, E-R-I-S-M-A-N-N. She heads the Global Service Innovation Team at SAP. Tanya has sent me a very interesting quote from uh, a lady named Natalie Clifford Barney, B-A-R-N-E-Y, who lived from 1876 to 1972. She was an American playwright, poet, and novelist who lives as, lived as an expatriate in Paris. She had what was known in the day as a salon. That doesn't mean a room with pretty pictures on the walls and a nice couch and, and a silver tea set. It means a place where people congregated to share ideas. It was held at her home on, on uh, let me see, uh, 20 in French. What's 20 in French? Is that 20? Vingt Rue Jacob in Paris on the left bank for more than 60 years where she brought together writers and, writers and artists from a Around the world, including leading figures in French literature, as well as American and British modernists of the lost generation. And she worked to promote writing by women, and she actually formed L'Académie des Femmes, the Women's Academy, in response to the all-male French Academy while giving support to male writers. So I will just say that uh, she was considered, she considered scandal as the best way of getting rid of nuisances. We'll leave that one on the table. Here is the quote that Tanya has amazingly found in the writings of Natalie Clifford Barney, and I quote, entrepreneurship is the last refuge of the troublemaking individual. Tanya, I love the quote. This woman sounded like a real rabble rouser years before we had the, the, the women's movement, the uh, whatever we were burning, <laughs> whatever we were burning. So Tanya, welcome to the show. How have you been? Thanks a lot, Bonnie, and thanks for having me on this show as well. So talk to me, Natalie so, Clifford Barney. Are you a follower? And how did yes, you find exactly. this fabulous quote? Um, well, to, to be very honest, it's, a very, it, it's, it's probably also a very controversial person and, and, and certainly an interesting person. And when you were mentioning the salons, I hadn't thought about that, but it sounds like she was actually creating the first what today is called co-working spaces. Um, so I guess she must have been very, very futuristic. The reason I, um, I chose that quote is actually just because it resonated with me, and, and both from a job point of view, obviously, but also for personal reasons. And... Maybe, you know, if, if, if I may just, um, you know, from, I come from a background where several members of my family are entrepreneurs and, and not intrapreneurs, and they've mm-hmm. successfully built their businesses from a very young age, so I've been exposed to that um, quite a lot. Now, I think even as an employee of a big company, I'm a little bit of an entrepreneur at heart, and I guess what I realized is um, as an entrepreneur in mind a person, you'll always end up battling. Um, because, you, you know, with that mindset, you're usually questioning the status quo, and, and you're doing so by nature, I guess. And, and not just that, you're not just questioning the status quo, which would probably just make you a pessimist, I guess, but you're actually willing to put in a lot of energy uh, into changing the status quo as well. And not just doing that, but actually putting the energy in to change the status quo, I think, gives you energy back. So ultimately, I think as a troublemaker, if you don't end up being a pessimist or um, 
or dead because of lack of energy, you'll probably be driving change. <laughs> and if you don't want to end up a pessimist or dead or broke, uh, you'll probably learn how to drive change and make a living. And then that's what I thought was interesting. And that's what resonated with me in that quote. Fabulous. Thank you very much. Yeah, she was a troublemaker. She loved making trouble. And in in a sense, (laughs) maybe we should call entrepreneurs the troublemakers who are receiving. I think, Manju said this, they're receiving a paycheck. They're not at risk, at least as as far as they know they're not at risk. They're going to get paid no matter what. They are given privileges. They're given opportunities. They're given uh, food for thought, we might say. I'm not sure what's on the company lunch menu for these people. But they have very, very little risk. Do you think that's exciting for them, Tanya, that they can say, yes, we are, we are brought here or we are put together in this space to come up with ideas the company never thought about before? What do you think? Uh, well, I absolutely agree when you put it that way. But to be honest, I, I'm, I'm not sure I'm of the same opinion as Manjuris on this one. I don't think that entrepreneurs actually get the freedom and the playground to do what they want. Um, because... Um, you know, even in a company, when you don't, even as an entrepreneur in a big company, when you don't deliver within a certain time frame, um, you're not going to keep being an entrepreneur. So you're quite quickly going to be asked <laughs> to do something that provides value again. Um, so I think even even in in that free, you know freedom role that you're given to, to create something, there is obviously a need to deliver as well. So I guess. Um, even that pressure, even if that pressure is not as high as the ones that entrepreneurs have, there is pressure around definitely. Oh, my goodness. Okay, so the heat is on. It's not just sit around and play all day. Very, very interesting. Uh, by the way, in a couple of weeks on this same series, Innovating Innovation, we are going to have uh, Brian Mattimore, who is uh, the author of your next, or Big Ideas in 21 Days. It's a process for ideation. He travels all over the world speaking with companies, helping them come up with new brand names and new ideas, and taking hundreds and thousands of ideas and distilling them down to maybe 10 or 11 good good ones, and then what gets brought to market. So we're going to be pursuing this in a much more detailed way in a couple of weeks. I think the show is on July 14th live. So let me circle back to Mr. Hans Baumaker. And Hans, I warned you when we met on our prep call that I'm going to get a little personal with you. I warned Manju and Tanya as well. So I'd love to know, what are you drinking right now during the show? Where are you calling from, Hans? What time of day or afternoon, evening is it? And what are you drinking now or what are you planning to drink after the show, Hans? Uh-huh. Well, it's actually, I'm in Chicago. It's 9.20 a.m. here, um, but I'm from, from the Netherlands originally. And what I like drinking most, uh, at least in the mornings, it's a, it's a double espresso. Um, and it's, uh, I think it was in Amsterdam um, where a barista mentioned that the type of coffee you drink that reveals a lot about your personality. So, you know, he listed a number of things that people who drink double espresso usually have, like that personality trait. Um, but I just remember one thing that he added. He said, People who drink use, uh, double espresso, usually they like to write fast and on order. So their notes are usually hard to decipher for anyone but themselves. Um, and of course, you cannot see uh, my notebook. It's radio. But uh, that's really true. You know, everywhere I go, I bring my, my notebook, my old-fashioned paper moleskin, and, and I just write ideas and mental notes and things to do. Uh, but it's often hard, even for myself, to figure out the next day what I actually did write down. So, so yeah, it's a double espresso for me. Very nice. Is there a brand to that double espresso? Anything you want to uh, just give a little nod to? Anything favorite of yours? Nothing really special. As long as it's really, you know, really strong, good coffee, then no matter the brand, that's not uh, not the most important thing. It just should taste really, really good. I'm with you. That's the way I like my espresso. Thank you, Hans. Glad to get to know a little more about you. Manju, where are you today and what are you drinking or what are you planning to put in that cup afterwards? 
I am sitting in a beautifully anointed tan-colored conference room in SAP. (laughs) Wait a minute, wait a minute. Beautifully anointed tan? (laughs) You you didn't put those words together in one sentence. Did you really beautiful anointed tan? (laughs) Okay, I'm imagining The carpet, the walls, they're all a shade of tan. No, I'm just kidding. Um, I am drinking something that is trying to pass off as authentic Darjeeling tea. Um, You know, Camellia sinensis sinensis is this amazing drink, but by the time it gets to us in a tea bag form, it's, let's just say, it's not as quite good as the original. But uh, the original drink is a champagne of all teas. If you ever get a chance, please do try it. It's a geographic nomenclature, I guess is how they call it. So there's um, only 19... um, districts that produce the tea and uh, it's quite fascinating. It only comes from a very small part of uh, a very specific region in uh, a state in eastern India. So that's what I'm drinking. At least it's aspirational. It's not quite as good as the original. The, the champagne of tea, that's, I've, ne- I've never heard that. It sounds like a, a bubbly and heady experience. Thank you, Manju. Thank you for bringing your smile to the show. I see your picture here. I put all my guest pictures into my notes, so I have a wonderful smile from Hans, who was kind of at a 45-degree angle to the camera, smiling like he just see it, saw something that was just amazing. Manju, you're looking like, yes, Bonnie, I really am drinking that tea, but I wish I had the real deal. And Tanya's just saying, yeah, I'm happy to be here. I can see from your picture. So, Tanya, I have invoked your name. What are you drinking and where are you today? <laughs> well, Bonnie, this, uh, this mass certainly doesn't come from what I actually have in front of me right now because um, so I am sitting in Switzerland at the moment, which makes it, you know, after 4, 4 p.m. for me. And while I have a coffee cup in front of me, what's in there isn't actually coffee anymore. <laughs> Would you believe it? What's in there is actually a melted ice cream and a little wooden stick poking right out of it. So it's not that I'm going to drink that, uh, bless you. But um, but what happened is I had that ice cream earlier on, and while I had the ice cream, I had a good idea that I wanted to write down, and I put the ice cream in the cup just so, you know, it wouldn't melt on the table. And then I got so absorbed in what I was doing, I completely forgot about it. So now it's sitting there, melted ice cream in a coffee cup um, with a bit of wood sticking out, and no, I'm not going to drink it. Uh, I have a good excuse for that, though, I guess, because it's uh, here in Switzerland, it's one of the first days that we actually have a really hot day. So it's over 30 degrees Celsius today, which makes it a real summer day. Tanya, you are a, a woman after my own heart. Once in a while, I will put the ice cream in the cup and forget about it on purpose and let it go into mush. And I call that I call that ice cream soup. And it's wonderful, especially if it's really good chocolate or really good vanilla. And I've never tried drinking it or sipping it with a straw, but with a spoon, it's like a liquid delight. So what flavor ice cream did you tell us that? Well, what I have actually doesn't go very well with the, co- the leftover coffee that was in there, so I'm not going to drink it. it. I think it was orange and lemon flavor or something, so I guess it wouldn't taste Ooh. very well. I won't try. No, 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 no. <laughs> Next time you melt ice cream in a cup with a spoon, try chocolate or vanilla or strawberry or something a little, little more, uh, <laughs> yes, <laughs> a little more interesting, and it might just go with coffee or with tea, Manju. You ever had ice cream and tea? I'm not going to ask you. So, you know what? My panelists are working very hard. Our topic today, in case you haven't guessed, the formal topic is power to the people. 
corporates, engaging entrepreneurs inside and out. We're using a couple of keywords here, entrepreneur, entrepreneur, reminds me of an old song, tomato, tomato, what can I tell you, potato, potato, but there is a very big difference. Who are these entrepreneurs invited to bring their ideas, their sustainable, new, innovative thoughts and plans and translatable into real products and services into corporations. Who are the entrepreneurs? How are they handled? What is their mindset? We have a lot to talk about. What is right for your company? Well, we are finding out from the experts today many of the options. Our listeners might come up with something new. We'd love to hear from you. you can, you're welcome to tweet at hashtag SAP Radio. We will see it and we will comment on the air. We're talking today with Hans Balmakers at the Entrepreneurship Conference with Maju Banzal at SAP Startup Focus and Tom Tanya Arisman at the Global Service Innovation Team at SAP. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. I plan to be after the break. So there, when we come back, Hans and I are going to kick off the roundtable formally. So don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. You know the drill. Justin, out. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. The pace of innovation is moving faster than ever, and the future of business will be defined by how quickly business leaders adapt to accelerated ongoing change. Factors as diverse as insights from growing volumes of data, the new global pool of talent, resource scarcity, and business networks and supply chains are shaping the definition of future success. Join our experts as they analyze and discuss how business leaders can shape the future of change. Innovating Innovation with Game Changers is presented by SAP. Visit www.sap.com. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Listening to Innovating Innovation with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Email your comments and questions to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the live show at Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to Innovating Innovation with Game Changers. You know, as I think about it, the title of this series, Innovating Innovation, is really what we're talking about today. We're talking about how do you innovate the innovation process? How do you get from point A to point B? How do you survive, thrive with sustainable energy in your company and sustainable products and services to keep you relevant and keep people coming back for more? I think that's really the core of it. We have a great panel today speaking with Hans Baumakers at the Entrepreneurship Conference, speaking with Manju Banzal at SAP Startup Focus, and Tanya Arisman at Global Service Innovation at SAP. We're going to kick off the roundtable formally now, and I have a very provocative statement here from Hans. I'm going to read from his notes, and then Hans is going to run with it for a couple minutes. Then we will invite Manju in for, I'm sure, a very provocative POV, as well as Tanya. Good panel. They really think outside the box. So Hans told me before the show, 
Intrapreneurship, that's the I-N-T-R-A version. He says, from lone wolves and mavericks acting under the radar to a framework and culture for innovation and growth. And he says, in just three years, we've seen the topic evolve from being a label for a bunch of corporate rebels to a strategy for innovation and growth. So Hans, our perspective is what are we sharing with our global audience today here on the Business Channel that they can learn from? So why don't you kick this off, please? Yeah, sure. So, I mean, I was uh, um, participating in this conference that I'm now co-hosting uh, just three years ago, and, and all the talks were about, okay, you have to, you know, find the right moment to, to, to get to your boss and get support and, and, and stay on the radar as much as possible. So it was, it was more like, you know, the, really like the outcast of the, of the corporates that are getting together and, and, and really committed to making a change, but, but almost like saying, okay, it, it, it's really hard and it, it's really difficult to, to do so. Um, while in these three years, so ever since the 2013, um, we now see 80% of our people um, in the room. These, these are people who are responsible for innovation management, and, and, and they are um, seeing entrepreneurship really as a strategy uh, that ties into um, you know, the master frameworks, but also the culture for innovation and growth. Um, which also means I think the number of, of, of um, 70 to 90 percent of, of in, uh, entrepreneurship programs failing, at least if I uh, uh, understood correctly from Manju, that, that was the number. Um, I think that's a great thing because that means that 10 to 30 percent are, are succeeding and, and we've just started, right? So this is a lot about culture change. It's, it's, uh, it, it's not something you just do overnight. It's, it's something that takes probably seven or more years to, to sink in. Um, so, uh, we were just starting, basically, and I think the more um, we do it, the better we get at it. So, yeah, I'm, 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 I'm thinking that um, there's a bright future for entrepreneurship um, for these companies. It's basically the only way forward, I think. Very interesting, a culture change. Do you think companies are ready for that? Do you think managers who've been around for a long time are saying, oh, sure, just bring it on, let's try this something new? Do you think this is accepted, or would it be seen as something that's privileged and marginal? Uh, well, at some point, I think there's no choice, right? So um, mm-hmm. it, it takes probably, let, let's say, seven years to, to change behavior. Um, but it, at the same time, it probably takes seven years for your business to go extinct. So I think many businesses are at a crossroads, whether they know it or not. So it, it is about changing the culture, or it is being added to this list of companies that were ones in the Fortune 500 or whatever number, um, but not, are not anymore. So, uh, yes, as, you know, we all know that as, as individual, it's not easy to change. And there often has to be a uh, pain or pleasure thing or at least a, 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 a reason to change. But um, I think that's the, the, the task of leadership in these organizations, saying, guys, the world has changed and we have to adapt uh, how we do business. Um, and, 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 yeah, that's changed. And that's, that's, that's something that, you know, as, as a human being, you probably – not willing to do that easily, but you have to. Mm. There's no other way. Okay, so we're up against the wall here. Manju, chime in, please. Thoughts, agree or disagree with Hans? I think Hans makes some good points. My, I'll give you a different perspective. You know, I, mm-hmm. if you look at Xerox Park, the Palo Alto Research Center, that was started in 1970, and through a process which we would call entrepreneurship as a label today, they created things like, you know, the, um, the mouse or the, uh, the new UI and the computers, all kinds of fascinating inventions. Or if you look at a more traditional company like 3M, since 1948, they've been inventing and innovating their way out into new businesses, including the yellow sticky that all of us use on a daily basis. The point I'm trying to make is 
I think it's great for companies now to say, you know, innovation has to be internally driven and go. But my contention is the guys who are smart and guys who get it have been doing it for an awfully long time. If you look at the chip industry, the microchip, it's an oligopolistic business. You know, three or four major chip makers, Intel being the dominant force. And look at how Moore's law has changed the course of humanity in the last 40 years. 32 years, the speed, the number of circuits in the chip goes up two times, and the cost reduces in half. And those are all internally driven, without the formal need for, you know, projects or what have you. So my contention is, I think companies that get it and are staffed by the right kind of smart. Thank you, Maju. Very interesting. Maju, your line is breaking up a little bit. We're having a little trouble hearing you. We're getting, we're losing about every, every tenth word or so, but we did get the gist. Thank you very much. I'll have Justin decide whether we're going to get you to call back or not, but we got it. Thank you very much. And I'm tweeting what you're saying right now. Tanya, join the conversation, please. Yes, thank you, Bonnie. So what I find interesting is actually the time frame that Hans gave us in the meeting, saying that, you know, in the last three years, he's actually seen that evolve, which seems to correspond about uh, quite well, quite rightly with, with uh, what we've, we've done at SAP, where we started an entrepreneurship program about two years ago. I guess that probably makes us a bit slow, so we caught up a year late, I guess. Um, but what I see is also that building that framework that allows employees to actually take ideas and make it successful businesses is something that businesses are gathering is, is needed and needs to be there. Now, what, what worried me a bit is, Hans, when you, when you were talking about the seven years that it takes to change behavior, um, which makes it a very long time frame indeed when you look at the speed at which the world evolves um, these days. Uh, one thing I'd like to bring up in that context, which I think is really interesting, is, is a quote um, from Peter Drucker, uh, which is, culture eats strategy for breakfast. Um, you, you know Peter Drucker was a, was a writer, yes. professor, and management consultant, and he's often also labeled the man who invented management. And when he said, culture eats strategy for breakfast, I thought that that was a really interesting quote, because I think, um, Hans, and also mind you, what you were saying is that, it doesn't necessarily need the strategy behind uh, putting an entrepreneurship program in place. It actually needs the culture change that is needed. And not just, uh, you know, from, from the top by accepting that there are such things as entrepreneurs that, that need, you know, that, that, will, that will constantly be troublemakers probably, but also by the entrepreneurs themselves to actually, you know, get up and not do their entrepreneurship thing in the little environment that they're usually in, but actually try to make that bigger. Thank you very much, Tanya. Very interesting comments. Hans, I'm going to circle back to you. Anything you want to say about what Manju and Tanya added to your thoughts? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, uh, it, it, it's, it's maybe also, you know, what, what, is, what is really entrepreneurship? What do, we, what do we mean with it? Because there is, I think, a lot of companies that are innovative uh, by nature. With that, I mean, they have a culture in which uh, individuals, uh, you know, entrepreneurs, whether they are more rebellious than or not, you know, that's really not the point. But these cultures already support continuous innovation and continuous experimentation. However, a big number of companies, uh, the incumbents, you know, they have been existing for, uh, I don't know, decades or, or maybe more than, more than a century. For them, entrepreneurship is a way to, to, to get used to this new environment. And, and it's not maybe the only way, but I think it's a way that, that, that really uh, is successful and, is in, uh, and effective in, in creating such a culture. Um, 
the danger is that entrepreneurship is just labeled as this hackathon or this boot camp. Um, and you have to start with something. You have to start with a small group and a boot camp and a hackathon and all these nice labels that we put on these, uh, uh, you know, adventures are, are great. Uh, but for me, that's just a thing and that's a start. Uh, and entrepreneurship goes beyond that, that, that nice ideation session. You know, it, it's, it, it's really just a first step. Uh, and often these first steps uh, do not immediately resonate with the whole organization. They are not immediately successful. So um, I think, again, it's, it's a change that you have to, yeah, uh, sorry, Tanya, uh, you know, calculate, uh, uh, let's say, at least seven years for, um, but you have to start somewhere. If you don't start, you'll never get there. There you go. Mm-hmm. Hard to catch up. Uh, Tanya, do you want to say something? I heard you say comment. Anything? Yeah, well, you know, um, I agree, you know, that, that culture thing and, and, um, and trying to get, get to, to that thing to work may take time. But also um, what I've seen is with companies I talk to, and uh, lately specifically a big American company and the, uh, the head of innovation there, and she said that they actually had an entrepreneurship program um, which was going to be very successful, giving them new disruptive ideas, and it completely failed. And the reason for that being that, you know, she said that they, if you give every employee the chance of coming up with ideas, you just get a lot of noise. I mean, what you get is things that you're already working on, or you get things that are niche product, or you get things that are completely out of the world, or not good enough, or whatever. And, um, and therefore, it's not that these entrepreneurship programs should be aimed at every employee, and you, with the aim of making employees entrepreneurs, it's actually finding the people who are already inventing and innovating in their little environments, and then giving them a bigger environment to do so. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was interesting, and she, she, that company, by the way, has completely stopped the program. Ah, interesting. Okay, well, we're trying to help our listeners figure out what, what may or may not work for them. And on the note, Tanya, thank you so much for bringing up the Drucker quote, culture eats strategy for breakfast. I looked it up. There's some question, was it really Drucker, but we don't care for the purpose of this conversation. He said it. Okay, I'm, it's a perfect segue for me to go to a topic in Manju's list. Manju, you say, and I think we're on an eating, uh, eating binge here, you say software is eating the world, no matter what business business we are in, whether we like it or not, we are in some ways in the software business. Manju, provocative. Uh, is this a contentious statement? Is it a company? Are there companies listening? They're going to call up and say, Manju, how dare you say that? I'm not in the software business. I'm in the banking business or I'm in the sneaker business or I'm in the, uh, I'm in the uh, uh, rice business. What, what are they going to say to this? And what do you really mean, Manju? I think what I mean is, you know, technology is changing at such a rapid pace. And with it is changing the ability to engage with customers, take products to market, business models are changing, how you deliver economic value add is changing, and it's 100% powered by software. I mean, a classic, I want to loop back to the innovation idea for a second. You know, if you think of um, the intrapreneurship efforts at Kodak, in 1975, they invented and patented the digital camera. Yet, till 1998, they kept it under wraps and didn't do anything. They had an 85% market share in the paper business and printing, and by 2005, they were bankrupt. So even though the intrapreneurship had yielded an incredible technology, they did nothing with it. And if you fast forward, you know, a good 30, 40 years in today's day and age, if you look at, uh, for example, by the way, the uh, Kodak guys went bankrupt, then they came back, and today their market cap is $650 million, give or take. Uber which is not only a single taxi cab anywhere in the world, their market cap is $65 billion. Mm-hmm. And that difference is using the power of technology 
to create brand new businesses that didn't exist before. And the same logic works for, you know, BMW, incredible automaker, 55 billion market cap. Uber does not own a single taxi cab, like I said, more than BMW. And whether it's Airbnb and hired hotels, whether it's Facebook versus Pearson Publishing, which is the world's largest publishing company, that the comparisons just go on. And that is what I mean by saying software has the power to change what you're doing in dramatic fashion. Thank you very much. Very interesting. Uh, I love the metaphor. Software is eating the world. Very well put. Tanya, love to have you talk about this point. Agree, disagree? Do you have any favorite case studies you'd like to cite for us to, to make this come to life? Well, software is indeed eating the world. I guess there's no denying that. Um, as much as probably like to disagree to, to give it, you know, to make it an interesting discussion, I think I, I do agree on this one. I think it's a huge mm. opportunity as well, as much as this disrupts the business and probably blurs also the, you know, the, the borders between industries and, and, and ways that people do business and, and the business models that are created. I think it is an opportunity as well, specifically, you know, in the context that we were talking about before for, for big operations, big corporates, um, because software also means that actually people can get connected much more easily. And when you relate that back to the entre and intrapreneurs, or let's say the intrapreneurs at the moment, that means that even in a global business, you can actually create your virtual ecosystem of like-minded people, which I think is a very powerful thing. I think we all agree with that. Let me circle around to Hans. Hans, thoughts on what Manju started to say? Technology, software, driving the world, eating the world alive. Uh, what do you think? Well, I'm, 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 I fully agree to the statement, and I'm actually very happy with it as a consumer. Um, but also, I think for the organizations that we, that we have seen on stage, for example, uh, entrepreneurship, for them, uh, because of the technology developments, you can easily test and experiment new products and new services uh, you know, without risking the brand at large. So for many organizations, uh, because of these technology developments um, that are um, kind of having consumers demand different products, they are also actually able uh, to deliver these products and services far, far better and far, in a far um, you know, quicker way, let's say. So I fully agree to the statement, and I think digital transformation or whatever label, again, you know, it's often we talk about labels, and, and, and that's maybe a dangerous thing, but you know, mm-hmm. the whole digital transformation, I think, is a driver for entrepreneurship and vice versa. So it's, I think we're all talking about, hey, the world has really fundamentally changed, and there's ways, uh, there's reasons for that, and there's drivers for that, but there's also ways to, to in this new world, uh, to still be, be a successful business, whether you're a startup or a large organization. I think we're all just trying to find out how to do it. And, and I think even maybe um, the discussion should be more about, hey, how can we work as entrepreneurs and entrepreneurs together uh, in order to, uh, to grow these businesses and especially to help our uh, customers? So maybe, you know, that's another take on, uh, on, on this topic. Thank you very much, Hans. I'm going to go back to Manju since you brought this up. What are your thoughts on what your co-panelists have added, please? No, I think uh, on this one we're in, uh, in violent agreement. So there's uh, <laughs> I think the fact <laughs> is that even more established corporations, um, uh, you know, the, the biggest industrial guys, for example, Siemens and, and people of that nature, they're using modern technology to essentially say, why am I selling machines that need to be serviced and whatever else needs to be done? I'm going to sell the outcome that the guy is buying the machine for. So don't sell generators, sell kilowatts of power produced. And that's, those kinds of business models wouldn't have been possible to deliver without the underlying technology and the software development that's happening. Thank you, Manju. So Tanya was yes. right. Lots of yep, opportunities. 
I like violent agreement, and in this case, it works perfectly. Tanya, I'm looking at your notes, and let's get down to some of the guts of what's going to work for different companies. You say the right form of entrepreneur-entrepreneur engagement in a company depends on many aspects. Are they looking for iterative versus disruptive innovation levels? How much autonomy are they prepared to give? What are the incentives for engaging, as well as the cultural aspects that will bring that energy back into the organization, the timing, the financial investments, the deadlines and expectations, the level of risk. A lot to digest here, staying with our food theme, if you don't mind. Tanya, if, if you were to give your advice to a company listening that says, yeah, this sounds great, entrepreneurs, entrepreneurs, we got to do this, we don't really know what direction to take, what would be most important for them? Let's get your top three or four, and then we'll see what Hans and Manju have to say. What should they be looking at first before they decide how to proceed? Okay, uh, good one. Thanks, Bonnie. Um, so can I start with something that they shouldn't do? <laughs> oh, yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Go be a troublemaker, Tanya Arisman. Be you know, a troublemaker. <laughs> yeah, so one thing I've come across a lot lately specifically is that companies think they can tackle, you know, that topic of, of engaging entrepreneurs specifically from within by engaging entrepreneurs from outside to design their entrepreneurship programs, um, which may sound like a very good idea, but what I've seen is that it doesn't necessarily produce the right, the right, um, the right results. And what I've found is that, you know, that entrepreneurships, uh, entrepreneurs tick very differently than entrepreneurs. Um, and therefore, I think you need to consider very well what you're aiming for in order to understand whether what you're forming um, is something for, for internals, for employees, or something where you want to engage outside people or a combination of, of these things. And the, the things that I was, that I was mentioned, that you were mentioning, um, that I wrote down before, like motivation and risk taking and, and, and timelines and things like that, are, are just hugely different between big corporations and startups. So when, when you look at timelines, you know, corporations usually take a long time to make decisions while startups live and die by making fast decisions. So um, if you're engaging an entrepreneur to build up something in, in, a, in a big corporate environment, it's not necessarily going to produce the right results when it comes to timelines. I think same thing goes for when you look at risk-taking. Um, obviously, big corporations have an existing business to defend, um, while startups don't have a legacy business to defend. So they'll ultimately be taking completely, completely different risks. And then another thing I think that is quite interesting as well in that context is actually um, opportunity scale. When you look at um, corporations, they obviously, obviously usually need large market and large opportunities to get excited. While when, when I talk, talk to startups, and maybe Manju can give more insights into that later, but when I talk to those, they usually fear that large companies will steal their ideas in big markets. So they'd rather mm-hmm. go for niche first. And then also, obviously, um, you know, when corporations need to scale their engagement models and also the, the ecosystems that they work with, while startups have the opportunity to, to choose which ecosystems they want to, to join. So ultimately, what I'm saying is that they're completely different environments. And if you engage one from one environment to design the other, that isn't necessarily producing good results. And, it, you know, you're not making people happy. If you're engaging an entrepreneur in an entrepreneurship program, you're not necessarily making them happy in there either. Interesting. Tanya, let's talk before we circle around the table to Hans and Manju for their advice. Uh, iterative versus disruptive. What's the key message here? What's your lesson for companies listening? Um, what I found is in our own company as well as in others that obviously it works much better um, to engage internal people for iterative types of innovation. So when you're looking at you know taking something that's there and making it better, obviously you get huge insights from people who are working with these 
things on a daily basis. It gets much harder to find internal people who think big enough to, you know, to, to give you disruptive ideas. And not just, you know, to, to have these ideas. I mean, you will find people who have good disruptive ideas, but who are willing to put them on the table as well, because it may, it may be a problem in the environment that they're in, um, or they may not even be willing to, to follow these things. So I think the more disruptive you get, the more, well, but that's my own opinion now, um, the more you're likely to probably get that from the outside world. Now, I'd like someone well, to challenge me on that one. <laughs> absolutely. Where I think Mr. Hans might be interested. Hans, you want to challenge her on that? You're welcome to. Go ahead. Well, I like challenging uh, in a way, yeah. But it's it honestly, it's um, it, it's n- it's not easy to challenge in a way that you know, uh, Tanya, you know your organization, and probably this is true for your organization, and uh, and I think that's the key. So uh, you know, often we get the question, "What is the recipe for entrepreneurship?" Um, uh, and there is none. The, the entrepreneurship, um, whether it's a you know a, like a short project or it's more like the long term program, uh, including the whole culture change, it all. Um, very much dependent on the culture and, and the corporate immune system that your organization has built up. So uh, some organizations, it works to, uh, to create outposts in the valley and indeed, uh, you know, uh, engage with uh, startups and, and all kinds of, um, uh, quote-unquote, uh, strange people or weird people. That's at least how some corporate executives then describe that. Uh, in order to find these new disruptive ideas, uh, other organizations organize entrepreneurship far closer to the existing organization, whilst uh, the same approach then at another organization uh, leads to nothing because it is too close. So... On our stage, there's always different perspectives, and, and the one single takeaway for participants in the room is that there is no single recipe. It really takes an assessment of your culture and, 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 and a, uh, let's say, a good strategic alignment uh, of what you want to achieve, uh, and, and, um, and, and yeah, basically take it from there. So I, I challenge you in a way that um, I think is right for you, but it, it's, a, it's indeed also a dangerous thing to assume because uh, it might change over time as well. You know what? We are almost, we're actually in already our predictions round, but I want to give Manju a chance to challenge Tanya. So Manju, why don't you take one minute, quick minute to comment on uh, what Tanya shared and or what Hans just added to that. And then we're going to go back to Hans for his predictions. Go ahead, Manju. Just a real quick one. I think, um, Tanya, what we see in our startup world is that the dynamic of engagement between young companies and large established firms is rapidly changing, and startups don't seem to worry about large companies stealing or borrowing, if you will, their IP, but uh, are instead looking at an ecosystem approach where it's very clear that there's certain symbiosis that exists. Entrepreneurs are developing innovation that eventually needs to be sold to a large company, and uh, large organizations can provide the access to either the technology, the platforms, and the customers that these entrepreneurs need. So it's a much more of a win-win for everybody situation. At least that's what we see in our world. And I think as technology evolves and the pace of innovation even speeds up more, um, you can't really rely on stealing anybody's ideas because before you know it, that idea is going to be worth not too much. <laughs> well, that's depressing. Let's go back to Hans. Hans, uh, talking about the, the life cycle or the value of uh, the evaluation of uh, good ideas. Okay, Hans, predictions. I'm going to give you 60 seconds. Take a look into the crystal ball. I know you have one there at the Entre- Entrepreneurship Council. What do you see coming down the pike for this topic if we mitigate at some point in the future? Uh, would the terminology change? Would the approach to culture change? Would entrepreneurs and entrepreneurs be the same exact thing? Talk to me. 60 seconds. Hans, please predict. 
Sure. I mean, I, I, I started thinking about 2020, right? And then my daughter will be four by then, so uh, she will need to go to primary school, and we will probably have done some nine months of traveling before she does that. And um, that's possible because there is no entrepreneurship conference anymore. Uh, there's no need to support companies in making that transition, I hope, because we made ourselves as a conference, as a platform, obsolete. So I, I think my, my prediction, or maybe it's a little bit of like an ambition and, and a dream, is that by 2020 or maybe a little bit beyond, the big brands are working in small tribes and teams of entrepreneurs working together on missions and goals, and you know, not just with folks from the single organization, but also with entrepreneurs and with people all over the value chain, with communities and consumers, as well as you know, robots and AI. So we're organized more like nature is, more chaotic, uh, but we're more effective in making great products that add value, and everyone is involved and, and engaged. So I think that's what entrepreneurship will grow into. Thank you very much. Brief and to the point. Appreciated. Manju, you're up next. 60 seconds. Please tell us what your predictions are. My prediction is that uh, the geographic boundaries will cease to exist for this issue. And lots of interesting, non-traditional innovation that is happening in the emerging markets or the developing world will, will find itself repackaged and delivered uh, as true groundbreaking innovation in the more established parts of the world. Thank you very much. Man, a few words, but packs a punch always. Tanya Arisman, thoughts? What do you see in that crystal ball? Talk to me. Yes, so I think that the actually the clear lines between corporations and their employees and startups will, will start to blur. Right? We talked about software eats the world, and that means technology... Um, you know, technology, that technology change means that corporates can actually build hubs across industries. Um, Manju was mentioning Uber and others. So, so there's going to be a blur of, you know, what is a corporation, what's a hub. I think also there's, there's a current trend already towards freelancing, which means people work in different roles for different entities, and those entities can be corporates or startups or individual things they do. Um, so, so they provide value to their ecosystem somehow, and it's going to be hard to distinguish between the values that create. So ultimately, I think the discussion of distinguishing between internal and external entrepreneurs will disappear. So if we had that radio show five years from now, I think we'd all be saying, what? Aren't we all entrepreneurs? We're just more or less loosely connected to our ecosystem, providing value. I like that. The providing value is the key there. Hans Bellmakers, thank you so much for joining us. Pleasure to meet you. Manju, don't be a stranger. Come back. And Manju, I'm counting on you to start another Startup Focus with Game Changers radio series any day now. Manju, don't go too far away. I'll find you. Tanya Arisman, I hope you'll come. <laughs> good, good. I Now you know how the show has evolved, and I think it would be great for your startups to get their opportunity to share what they're doing, entrepreneurs, entrepreneurs, with our global audience. Tanya, such a pleasure. You're such a smart, articulate lady, and we really appreciate your putting this panel together. And a shout-out to Oski Almez at SAP for working with Tanya on this wonderful show. I'm Bonnie D. Graham, and here is my call to action. But first, we have to thank Justin, our engineer, for getting us on the air and keeping us there. So here we go. Call to action. Fasten your seatbelt or go out and invade and innovate a new one, and I think we'll all buy it because I hate my seatbelt. Fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today. And at 2 p.m. Eastern, I'll be back live here on the Business Channel with another edition of Changing the Game with HR. You don't want to miss this one. Bonnie D. Graham signing off. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Innovating Innovation with Game Changers, presented by SAP, the best-run businesses run SAP. 
To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter, hashtag SAPRADIO. Please join your host, Bonnie D. Graham, on Thursdays at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week. 